game in Frisco, Texas. But we do want to put a bow on this lackluster Minnesota Vikings season with our good friend John Holler from the Viking Update, vikingupdate.com, 247sports.com. Hello, John. How are you? You know, if we're putting a bow on it or a bullet in it, uh, <laughs> kind of the way this season went. <laughs> well, it's a good way of putting it, too. Um, I don't even know where to begin because – now, I, I don't think you'll mind me saying this. You texted me Saturday. Uh, I just don't feel good about tomorrow's game. What, what gave you that feeling going into the Week 17 at U.S. Bank Stadium? Because the Vikings at home, I never rule out, but – you just didn't feel good about just what was going on that week, did you? No, it was just the vibe that the guys had, and the you know the thing that was bothering me was the way that guys like Thielen and Diggs were answering questions, and the way that Kirk Cousins was just uh, almost delusional in the fact that nothing was ever his fault, that things were going wrong, and. You know, while they're going wrong, it's, well, it was a block that got missed. It was never I threw a bad pass or I made a bad decision. And he basically came right out and said, I'm not going to throw to Thielen and, or Diggs if they're covered. And it's like Diggs is probably the best wide receiver in the league in, in contested catches. And it just, there was something, just the vibe in that room that just seemed like, okay, if they win it, great, you know, they'll play them again in Chicago. And I don't think the Bears are a great team. I, I think their defense is extremely good. I mean, you know, they were a top 10 defense last year when they had 12 losses. But I just, there was just something that had a, just a ugh, feeling that uh, – Ordinarily, you would think at home, week 17, win and you're in, control your own destiny. They just had not beat a quality team all year. You know, I mean, the only team they beat with a, that had a winning record was Philadelphia, and Philadelphia didn't have a winning record until week 16. Right. You know, it was every quality playoff team that you looked at that could potentially make a deep run. Chicago, the Rams, New Orleans, New England, all of those teams just had the look of a team that can beat what the Vikings have going on right now. And the offensive line regressed and cousins took a step back. You know, I mean, I was looking at the numbers. It was in the first 11 games, Thielen had 93 catches, 1138 for yardage and nine touchdowns in the last five, starting with the new England game where, where Bill Belichick said, because we talked about it at the time that Bill Belichick gives other teams blueprints how to stop teams in the final five games, Thielen had 20 catches for 235 and no touchdowns and Diggs, He, he only played 10. He missed a game. So he played 10 of the first 11 in those 10 games. He caught 81 passes for seven ninety and six touchdowns. And in the final five, he caught 21 for two thirty one. Wow. I mean, when you combine those two things and that'll happen to you, but then you need, a Laquan Treadwell, an Aldrich Robinson, somebody to step up and pick up that slack, and they just never did it. No, they certainly did not, and you know that'll we'll get into the question of personnel in just a little bit. I had a conversation filling in for Jack Michaels on his show on our sister station, The Fan, today, and I didn't get a really chance to counter it, but the caller said he didn't really read as much into the 
the Thielen-Kirk Cousins thing that everyone got to see on national TV on Sunday. But I said, uh, we got the quarterback saying, you need to run this route because I don't have 10 seconds, when it's, which is, uh, to me is the biggest bunch of horse cocky ever because – you know, you if you can have a half a second. Who gets to, that? Well, you, know? you, you throw it to the pylon. I mean, it doesn't take you that much longer to throw it to the pylon. I know, right. I know you got beat up a little bit, but he gets happy feet. There's just no getting around it. I, that was just a weird – you could not look at that and not say that's a healthy situation. Right. And, you know, Thielen, of, uh, both of them, you know, downplayed it after the game. I thought it was interesting when Diggsy said – I don't know. You'll have to ask them, you know, where he's like just the first guy tipping away from this going, you know, you're not going to get a quote out of me on that. Right. But what, what struck me was just how crazy uh, cousins got when Thielen got in his face, where he just was repeatedly going down and to the right, you know, where he's hand gesturing what his route was supposed to be. (laughs) And when you see a guy losing his mind like that on the sidelines, that's never a good sign and could go a little bit of a ways to explain why after franchising the guy twice, instead of giving him a long-term deal, Washington said, you know what? Alex Smith doesn't make mistakes. We'll, we'll bring him in. We'll trade for him. We'll give up draft currency to get Alex Smith. Well, and that's just it. So we, the Vikings have two years to make this work with Kirk Cousins. And you know, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if it's just Minnesota fans that get caught up in the money whether it be Nelson Cruz signing with the Twins or Maurer's contract or whatever, I don't get concerned about that as much as I just I, I want to see this guy be a winner. And I had a conversation with a friend yesterday, and we used to do radio together, and we kind of said the comparison of he reminds me a little bit of Jeff George, where million dollar arm, yep. But is he a leader? Is he, you know he certainly can wall you with fancy football numbers, stats, stats, and all that. But does he win football games? And that's what it really comes down to, right? He, it, it, just the little things that you hear from guys, like the one that really struck me was in probably like November. I mean, it was past midseason, but not much. And I was talking with Anthony Barr and asked him, you know, what, what did the defensive guys think of, of Cousins and the way the offense is running? Because if you remember early in the year, it was the offense that was kind of clicking on all cylinders and the defense was struggling because they were trying to do too much. And he was like, well, we now know who he is, you know, at first, because apparently he rubbed a lot of guys the wrong way for all things coming in as like a Charlie Church type, you know, the squeaky clean guy who, you know, people just, well, they're NFL athletes, you know, we, we kind of put these guys up on a pedestal. You have to keep in mind, most of these guys, the Vikings have like the fifth youngest team in the league because they've paid so many guys who are in their late 20s that they have to fill out their roster all with guys in their early 20s. When you think of yourself one year, two years out of college, you're a much different person than you are now. And so when these guys see somebody who comes off as being overly religious, overly squeaky clean, you're like, eh, there's something, maybe something ain't right there. You know, you think that there's something wrong with the guy instead of, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you'll go, man, he was a good Christian guy. You know, he had his heart in the right place. But I don't think guys think like that when they're in their early 20s, especially when they're, when suddenly you're, you know, Barr especially, because the odds of him coming back to the Vikings would seem to be remote unless they can get three or four defensive guys to restructure deals they've signed within the last 18 months. 
No, that's exactly right. And that kind of leads into that. It makes you a little worried. Is he going to be able to get this team? Because the honeymoon seemed to be there, like you said, with the way this offense was clicking in the first part of the season. But then it went south in a hurry. And there's no doubt. You mentioned last week about Rudolph's relationship with uh, Cousins, yep. how things are going. I mean, because of that, because you invested so much in this quarterback, there may be a lot of change because of that, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, hopefully it won't be a mutiny like we've been witnessing before our eyes over in Pittsburgh, where Le'Veon Bell says, nope, I'm done. I'm not I'm not coming in for a half a season and risk getting hurt. And Antonio Brown comes up with a phantom injury and his agent tells the coach and the GM he's going to come on Sunday and play. And then Mike Tomlin says, are you sure you're OK? And he goes, nah, I'm leaving. I mean, it's just craziness like that. And when you're a team like Pittsburgh that's used to having success, when you struggle, it's something foreign to you. Kirk Cousins has struggled his whole career. And you look at the history with Mike Zimmer, it's kind of like an EKG, you know, up, down. First year, down, then 11-5, and five, win the title, it, it, the division title. The following year, 8-8 eight and eight after a 5-0 and oh start, you know, you lose eight of your last 11, and it almost seems like the team quit on them. Boom, you come back, you're 13 and three. And now this year at eight, seven, and one, I just got that same feeling this year that I got those final 11 games last year that once somebody figured them out, and it just, you know, and then you get the infighting because we don't, we, we aren't really privy, especially fans aren't privy to the kind of infighting that goes on. I mean, you look at a team that's made the playoffs three of the last five years and or two, two of the last four, excuse me. And in the last 58 games, that's three full seasons in 10 games. And you have had four different offensive coordinators. You had Norv, you had Shermer, you had uh, coach D Filippo, and then you had Kevin Stefanski at the end. That is unprecedented, much less for a team that was looking to make the playoffs for the third time in, in four years. And if they had won, they would have, I would argue that has never happened in the history of football, that a team makes the playoffs three out of four years, yet in three and a half years had four different offensive coordinators. It tells me that there's either the message is getting lost with Zim or that there are some serious personality conflicts that he has being a head coach that has to oversee both the offense and the defense which is why I think they're going to end up with Hugh Jackson as their offensive coordinator next year. Yeah, and a lot of that's been written about. It's just a guy he knows. You know, it's a guy he knows. They both coach together in Cincinnati. So, it would you know, and he also runs an offense very similar to what Jay Gruden ran in Washington when Cousins was enjoying success, or however success is measured with the Redskins. (laughs) Well, that's true. John Holler with us from the uh, Viking Update. VikingUpdate.com will get you in uh, the direction of what uh, you want to read from him. And, and I guess that brings up the next question. What do you see is, you know, you mentioned Anthony Barr. I said in a, a podcast I did with the Chase Miller over on 7 for the Fan, it's all going to kind of start and stop with what they decide to do with Barr, right? I mean, are they going to let him shop? Are they going to franchise? I mean, how is that going to play out? Or is he just going to go somewhere where he can get in a 3-4 in a defense, put his finger in the dirt, and become an 11-sack guy? Right. That's the, that's kind of the uh, debate that I'm sure is going on in the offices there. And keep in mind, they also want to keep Sheldon Richardson, but Sheldon has earned the right to, uh, 
go out and see what the market will bear for him because the the days of a one year deal for him are off the table. Uh, I had a chance. I I really like Sheldon. You know, the first time we spoke, I brought up that uh, I did a thing on a radio show I did uh, where I live called Turd of the Week, where it's just somebody in sports who does something outrageous. And I used to live in St. Louis, and he's from St. Louis, and I knew the exact stretch of highway that they were talking about. And for us, it would be like you're on 494 in the Bloomington strip area between oh, yeah. 35 and the mall. He was doing a buck 43, 143 miles an hour. And I told him, I'm like, I've driven fast. I think probably my best is close to 110. I was like, did, did it turn into a star Wars type situation where the things on the side of the road start <laughs> to blur when you're going that fast? And that just kind of ingratiated him, me to him right away where he's like, man, you got kind of a smart mouth on you, don't you? And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that's kind of my history. But he had made it pretty clear last week when I talked to him that he's going to let his agent take care of it. He wants to stay in Minnesota because he loved just being a three technique. You know, that's all he had to do is line up over the left shoulder of the guard and pin his ears back. And he became really good in run defense that I think the Vikings weren't expecting out of him. And the way I'm looking at it, there are a couple of ways that they're going to go about this because obviously the salary cap is going up a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. And the people who I look at as being, uh, Anderson Deho is gone, right? Uh, he's due 5.5 million next year. There's no dead money to it. Uh, Mike Remmers, I think will have to take a downward deal because they can free up 4 million if they get rid of Remmers. Cause they're probably going to move Riley Reef inside at to guard. Really? Because because you can't get rid of him. It just doesn't make sense. And he's struggling at tackle, really struggling at tackle. And he's due nine point five million next year. But if you get rid of him, the dead money against the cap is six point six million. So you're basically freeing up less than three million dollars to get rid of the guy. And it's like okay, he can be a serviceable guard. He can be a really good guard. But, and with the option of if we don't find anything better in the draft or free agency, we can slide him back to tackle. We, you know, we have an option there that he's not a great left tackle. He's bottom half in the league, but he could be a top five guard if we move him inside and we use that first pick on an offensive tackle and he pans out. The guy, it may sound crazy, but the guy who I think might end up being gone is Everson Griffin. Oh, I don't think that's crazy at all. I've been, I've been okay. predicting that for the and, last week, yeah. And, and I suppose saying the word crazy in association with Everson is probably perceived as being in poor taste. That's yeah. not what I meant yeah. when I said P- that. Pardon but, the pun, right? Yes. Right, right. But he's due uh, $11.5 million, but if he's cut, the dead money's only one point two because they super front-loaded the deal. So all of the guarantees and the whatevers were taken care of these first two years. He had an onerous get rid of him number prior to this year. But when you look at it realistically, Daniil Hunter replaced him as the guy who plays on the right side, who goes up against the left tackle, who goes up against their best tackle. And you could argue that Stephen Weatherly played just as well as Everson did at one-tenth the price. So it wouldn't surprise me a bit. They, the Vikings may get a little egg on their face from the PR standpoint of getting rid of a guy who is meant 
as much to the franchise as he has. But you're getting into the heavy lifting of the deal that they signed with him a year ago, and there is a way to get out of it now. Yeah. And if you do, you know, he may not like it. He's going to, his career is far from over in the NFL. And I, you know, just hope he doesn't end up somewhere like Green Bay where, or, or God forbid, Chicago, where he'll come back twice a year and make our lives miserable. But I think he is one of those guys that they are looking at very strongly as being a guy out. And just one more thing on the cap. I was stunned when I saw this. Um, I was just looking up everybody's uh, contracts and the dead money. There's a website called Spotrack that you can keep track. They tell you all the ins and outs, incentive bonuses, roster bonuses, all the little nuanced things in a contract. If they keep La- Laquan Treadwell next year, he's going to count $1.8 million against the salary cap because that's his salary. Because of the contract they signed him to as a rookie, if they cut him, the dead money is $3.1 million. What? You, you lose money by cutting the man as opposed to keeping him. And it's like, as much as I would say, Laquan, been fun, see ya. I mean, we were talking all the way back in August. I did a one-on-one with him off on the sideline after a practice in camp. And the way he was talking was, I, I need to get along with my teammates. I need to listen to the coaches. And I'm like, brother, you're entering your third year in the NFL. This is something that a college freshman who was the high school hero has to do, not a guy in his third NFL season. So I, I think the Vikings would like nothing more than to get rid of Laquan Treadwell, but it would actually hurt them against the salary cap more to cut him than it would to keep him. It's it's just amazing to me how this contract language works itself out. But if they keep him, he's one point eight million with uh, no bonuses, no nothing. If they cut him, then everything that they gave him up front now prorates, and it would actually be one point three million more to get rid of him against the salary cap. That's amazing. So, be welcome surpri- to the NFL. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised uh, <laughs> if number eleven is back. Then, which would be a shock to everyone, but that's just kind of the cookie crumbles, as you say. That's uh, that's shocking to me. He'll make a good fifth receiver for somebody. Ooh, yeah, I guess. Well, it, I mean, and, and can you get rid of him to someone else? Because I was shocked he didn't work out from Ole Miss. I loved him at Ole Miss, but oh, it, me you know, too. I mean, you- I thought with that group that was coming out, I, I I knew Corey Coleman would be the first one to go, simply because of the speed you know you can't teach speed and he has it but he flamed out in cleveland they cut him they sucked it up and cut him and the other three guys that if you remember there was boom 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 three guys got drafted a wide receiver there was will fuller unbelievable talent but he can't stay healthy and drops too many passes jock josh doxson and i've said since before the draft i think doxson is a dog but uh uh and treadwell and I thought of those three, Treadwell was the best, and he has done absolutely nothing. He gets no separation. It's like he doesn't understand how to run a route tree. No, it's 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 quite amazing. But you know, we shall see. Uh, you know, there's gonna be so many different offseason moves by the Minnesota Vikings, and who knows? I think it kind of starts and stops with what happens with Anthony Barr, and we'll go from there. I want to go. I want to play devil's advocate on your thing about uh, the line, though. I'm not as worried about the Reef thing if he has someone next to him. I think that Remmers was out of position at guard. I really like Danny Isadora, especially as a run-blocking guy. 
Tom Compton, I'm sorry. I mean, there's just no. No. I mean, just bad. So, uh, could you, could I argue that the guards are the ones that need to replace be be replaced more than anything else? Because they're going to try to make this O'Neal kid work, right? Right. And I tell you, if if you watch O'Neal, he, I would have bet that he would have been one of the worst offensive tackles in the league if they had if they were forced to put him in the lineup. When I saw him in training camp and during the preseason, but. I don't think there was a player on that team. Maybe, maybe uh, J. Ron Curse improved more from August till the end of the year because Anthony Harris, I think, is the one who was the most improved player. But we knew he had something last year. You know that Arizona game a couple years ago. It's like, hey, this kid's got something here. Right. You know, he just was playing behind Sandejo. But I think over the course of because if you remember, he got his first start only because Rashad Hill who was starting at right tackle got hurt. And that old rule, just ask Joe Flacco about that rule that says, you know, you don't lose your job due to injury. (laughs) You do lose your job due to injury when the guy who comes in does better than you do and the team wins. Yeah, O'Neal at the end of the year, I think was playing about as well as anybody on that line. Now, if Nick Easton is back, that might, you know, people forget we didn't have him all year. So, Easton, Easton, he's not great, but I, anything is better. I think you or I could in tandem because we, we both get winded because uh, we're not in tip-top shape. But I think either one of us could be better than Compton was in most games. He was a bum signing, and I think they knew it when they did it. Kind of like when they took the lesser long brother uh, back in the 8-8 eight and eight season when they're, they just got him off the street right. in like week nine. And it's like, okay, if he's on the street in week nine, that should tell you something. <laughs> you know, oh, geez, well, exactly I was, right. yeah. You know, geez, the day before the Vikings called, I'd ask my agent, well, where do I get my retirement papers so I can start getting into the retirement protocol and start getting money? Well, what was the deal with Isadora? Because I like him when he was in there. I thought when he was in there last year, they ran the ball really well when he was a rookie. I mean, it's just. Doesn't get along, he, can't figure it out. He, or... he took a step backwards this year. And I, I love me my Canes, my Miami guys, because they always seem to uh, be scrappers. You, you know what I mean? That right. you, you, If you get in a bar fight, you want a guy from the U on your back. You, you want him back-to-back fighting your way out of the bar. And Isidoro is one of those guys, but he really regressed during the course of the year as far as, you know, guys were playing hurt ahead of him healthy. Right. And he started he started being a healthy scratch when they have to announce the seven guys on game day. So clearly, he, he, he was a Sperano guy. I can tell you that. But once that tragedy happened and he was gone, he just kind of fell in the doghouse of the coaching staff and was just MIA for most of the year. I mean, you, you hardly even saw him. Well, I think you mentioned there was Sperano is that if, if Tony liked him, and then you know, that sometimes can happen. That's an unfortunate right. thing because I think he – could have been a player, that's for sure. Well, and if Tony liked him, Zim liked him. Yeah. Because Zim and Tony Sperano were really close. And when Zim's wife died, the Speranos were really key in helping him get through those first few bad days. Oh, man, that's uh, quite a story there. Wow. Well, I'm sure we'll talk as the offseason progresses there. I do want to leave uh, John Holler with us. Uh, you posted this earlier. Mean Gene Oakland. I, I did a little, oh. did an ode to him, and I said this. Oh. He and Hulk Hogan were smart because they 
it's obvious that they saw in the AWA days what uh, Muhammad Ali. CBS and, News update. Oh, sorry, shut my CBS News update. But they wow. they saw what, what <laughs> they saw what uh, Muhammad <laughs> Ali and and uh, Hard Cosell had, and they perfected it in the world of professional wrestling. Oh yes, and the brilliance of Vince McMahon. You know, he took the biggest chance in the world by there used to be agreed upon territories that if you lived in Minnesota, you did not go into New York to wrestle. You didn't go south of Chicago to wrestle. Right. You didn't wrestle in Atlanta. You had your own little territorial boundary that everybody stuck to. Well, Vince Jr. says, nope, I'm taking this thing national. And the smartest thing he ever did was not only cherry pick their best wrestlers, but to steal the guys who were the voice of that organization. So when you turned on your TV on Saturday night or Sunday morning, well, whenever it ran where you lived when you were a kid and you heard AWA wrestling, you heard mean gene and, or you saw mean gene interviewing the wrestlers. Suddenly you see mean gene interviewing Sergeant slaughter. You may have no idea who he is, but because mean Gene's talking to him, it gave it validity. And I think that, you know, as much as Hulk Hogan is credited with, uh, helping the rise of WWF at the time, WWE now, helping them do their global expansion. I think Mean Gene is unheralded for being that guy because he was on every program they had. They had him with Gorilla Monsoon. They had him with Heenan. They had him with Lord Alfred Hayes. You could not turn on WWF programming and not see Mean Gene. No, so no. it was uh, it was great. Well, and he was big in the WCW era when they had the Monday Night Wars and Hogan. Oh, yeah. Hogan went bad on the NWO. I mean that he was there for all that too. So it was right. Uh, Bischoff wanted to get rid of that uh, twangy voice. So who do you get? You get the guy who every fan knows who Mean Gene is. Yeah, no, that was uh, he was a, a biggest face and certainly voice of wrestling as anyone that we mentioned before that was in in-ring performer uh, you are you're right on on that so it's uh certainly going to be missed it was an error that will never be uh, duplicated but you think about his roots you you say that about the territories uh, perry miller and i were joking earlier on the air when i was doing a little transition from show to show here and he, he said yeah it used to be like the mob with their territories and i said yeah oh, yes and i said yeah then vincent mann came in and shot mo green in the eye and said, <laughs> right and he walked up and kissed Vern Gagne right on the face <laughs> so it was like oh boy this this does not end well this is over <laughs> i am taking over yes that's exactly what he did too very good well we'll follow your stuff any movement that may happen with the vikings on vikingupdate.com that's how to direct you all to john holler's stuff thanks so much my friend i do appreciate it Hey, anytime, my brother. Hope that you and your listeners all have a great 2019. Yeah, you bet. Thank you very much. John Holler with us from the Viking Update, and it doesn't take long to do a Google search for him. He'll get you in the right direction for all his great stuff on the Minnesota Vikings.